basic and straightforward definition of a Christian is given in our booklet, What is a True Christian? This was written by Mr. Meredith. And on page 24, he writes, By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also so to walk just as he walked. And of course, that's, that's quoted from 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 6. And there's some uh, uh, bit in between. And then he writes, quote, The Living Bible paraphrases these last two sentences. That is the way to know whether or not you are a Christian. Anyone who says he is a Christian should live as Christ did. So pretty straightforward definition. Now, based on our time in the church and our years and experience, we understand there are multiple facets associated with living as Christ lived. And even as stated in those scriptures in John, uh, in between there, it says obedience to God's commandments is one key facet. Uh, but we also find another key facet in Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So there are some other elements, there are some other points drawn out related to following in Christ's footsteps. Points out clearly that to be a true Christian is a person, would be a person of faith and have that demonstrated in his lives. And even from that verse, we're told there is a big connection between faith and believing. So we'll discuss part of that in the sermon, because the sermon is about faith. If you want a title for the sermon, I've got here three elements of faith that we can use to assess our status as Christians. So three areas of faith, and again, there's we spend a lot of time talking about faith and in our various sermons. So the first point is pretty simple, in a sense, based on that, that verse there in Hebrews. So one's faith, or what one believes, because they are very closely related to being a Christian, One's faith or what one believes is fundamental. And I use the word or for a reason because in many accounts, those two words can very well be exchanged. Where the word faith is given, the word belief can be substituted and not at all change the meaning. And to illustrate that, I printed out from, uh, from the, the Bible the comments uh, from this is coming from Vines, and talking about the word for faith, it's pistis, and it's mentioned here that it, it, uh, Strong's is translated 239 times. This is the New Testament out of for uh, 244 verses or occasions where it's mentioned. So virtually every time the word pistis comes up in the Greek, it's translated as faith. But also mentions here, occasionally it's rendered assurance, it's rendered believe or belief as well. And in terms of outline of its biblical usage, yeah, out of the vines, it says relating to God is the conviction that God exists and is the creator and ruler of all things, the provider and bestower of eternal salvation through Christ, and in relation to Christ. It's belief that Jesus is the Messiah through whom we obtain eternal salvation in the kingdom of God. And something we will discuss later on is the religious belief of Christians. So that, that pretty much defines it very clearly uh, that out of the 244 occasions, the word pistis comes up. And the other, the other word that's used for believe or belief is called pistu, and it's the same comes from the same root Greek word. And when it's translated, it's almost always translated believe or belief, 
But in some cases, it's actually translated faith as well. So the two words have a lot in common. And that's so important for us to understand that one's faith or what one believes is fundamental to being a Christian. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, I'll just refer to the right here. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. I will turn there because I'll be referring to other scriptures in the same section. Chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, verse 13, says, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren beloved by the, the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So this idea of understanding the truth and believing the truth is obviously to, at the heart and core of being a Christian, because being, believing the truth does matter. And in the previous verses, verses 7 through, through 12, God comments there, Paul comments, that God is going to allow, even at that time, but certainly at the end of the age, he is going to allow the world to have strong delusion, such that they will not believe the truth, they will actually believe a lie. So believing the truth is part and parcel of that. And the account we find in Acts chapter 8 about Simon the sorcerer connects with that idea because he was a, an influential man of the community. They thought he was a man of God because he could perform certain things through sorcery. And when he saw Philip preaching the gospel and he saw the miracles that happened, he believed, but not totally the right way, as we know from the account, because later on what he wanted was the power of God's Holy Spirit. And he wanted to do the things that God's Spirit enabled men to do. And, of course, Peter condemned that because he managed to given credit to by not just us, but uh, many of the scholars as the one who founded a wrong religion, a wrong version or form of Christianity. So, but many believed on him because of the things he could do, and he was able to pervert the gospel, the true gospel, and gain a follow, followership from, from those around him. So, believing the truth is very, very important for us to do that. <clears throat> it's interesting to note that the word faith, it only occurs two times in the Old Testament, two times. And the one we know best, best of the, the two is that the just shall live by faith. There are 28 other times where the word faithful does come up in the Old Testament. And in the Hebrew word, it essentially has the same meaning as the word faith. And as I mentioned in earlier, that in the New Testament, the word faith occurs 244 times and, uh, in, the, in the Greek so true faith is dependent on believing the truth. What, so what, what is truth? Uh, truth in general, uh, belief that it's the revelation of God. And I've got several items here. I'll just list them off and not, you can write them down if you like, but then you also could make your own list of what is truth. That uh, we have the truth in general based on the Bible is the revelation of God and something we have to prove to ourselves that is the truth of God. That He says in John 17 that your word is truth, and we have to prove that. It's uh, the uh, brought home this week. I got a, a call from a gentleman that was uh, we classified as a go-to, and he got my number right off the web, called me directly, and... Uh, and he said that uh, what, I, what I believe and what we believe, it, I just can't believe we have a lot in common. And uh, after a while, he made it very plain he was a Seventh-day Adventist. Uh, 
I did mention that there were a few differences. <laughs> and uh, it, it, the first one I mentioned, he said, well, what are they? And I said, well, just one that we don't. We observe the holy days, and, of course, they don't. Uh, there are other differences, of course. And he asked me if I had read any of Ellen G. White's books. Uh, the short answer was no. Uh, had done that. But the point was he believed that we were a lot alike because he watched one telecast. Looked us up on the web, got my number, and he wanted to know, maybe we could get together sometimes and get together. <laughs> I said, well, well I did not. I, I demurred on that, on uh, the point. But the truth of the Bible, because he had other books that he thought clearly were, uh, should go along with the Bible, including Ellen G. White's writings. Uh, so the word of truth is the Bible. The truth we understand about God who and what he is, what he's doing, why he created us. And we are some of the few that understand that basic truth. And for that matter, belief about uh, Christ, who and what he is, who and what he was. Not everyone understands that he was the preexistent Jesus Christ, the one who became the son of God. And that he is the Messiah. Even in the sermonette, we heard about the differences of, that other religions have about identifying that prophet. So we understand about Christ. We understand the, what in the statement of fundamental beliefs is termed the steps to salvation. There are defined steps that one goes through in order to achieve salvation when Jesus Christ returns. The truth about the gift of eternal life and what that means in literally becoming part of the family of God. That's a fundamental truth that very few people understand and many would reject as heresy and sacrilegious to believe that. And the truth about what God expects of us. Uh, there's a big difference between what we understand about what God expects of us and what most of the Protestant denominations teach about what God expects of them. That in particular will be discussed more when we get to the third point. So you could go to the statement of fundamental beliefs in general, it talks about doctrines, and there are things that we, we teach and believe that are not literally listed in those, uh, those statements. There are about 23 of them, as I, as my recollection, but there are other items we teach and our understanding of prophecy, and there are many that understand these things correctly. So the truth is important for us to understand. I just wanted to look at a few scriptures to point that out in terms of believing the truth. Let's turn over to Matthew 21. connection here between faith and believe or belief. Matthew 21, read verses 19 through 22. Verse 19, he's seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves and said to it, let no fruit grow on you ever again. And immediately the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither away so soon? So they were impressed and marveled about it. And Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, having to believe, you will not only do what is done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. Now, that would be an even much more impressive event than declaring it a fig tree to be cursed and, and not bear any more fruit and wither it away in there in, right then. But for someone to say for a mountain to be moved and have it moved, uh, it'd be more than, more than astounding. Of course, we'd only do that. It would only be done if it had a real purpose 
And Christ had a purpose here in doing this and what he said in teaching the lesson to them. But we talked about not having any doubt. If you have faith and you don't doubt, if you believe that this will happen and have faith that it can happen, it will, it will do so. Over in Acts 14. <clears throat> Acts 14, verses 8 through 11. Here, Paul, the account is given of Paul while he's in, in Lystra. Verse 8. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked, someone who was born that way. And this man heard Paul speaking. And Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, that he could believe what Paul was preaching, what Paul had to say, he could see the man was very accepting of it. And Paul said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices saying in uh, Laconian, language the gods have come down to us in likeness of men an amazing miracle performed in their eyes in their sight and paul simply could see the man believed what paul was teaching over in romans chapter 3 romans chapter 3 verse 25 Just the middle of, a, of the thought here, Paul writing, it says, or speaking, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. So faith, belief that the blood of Christ, the shed blood of Christ does in fact atone for our sins. This idea that we believe in Christ, that's when someone is baptized, we, they have to declare that they accept and believe that the sacrifice of Christ, Jesus Christ will, in fact, pay the penalty for their sins. In Ephesians chapter, chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, Paul writes, That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, verse 18, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ. And I'll stop there. But points out that this matter of faith is very, very much in our heart, in our minds, that it is a part and of our nature, our very thought. We believe this with all of our being, that Christ will live his life in us. Christ will be in us. That's a, a fundamental belief that Christ does come into the flesh of his of his brethren in this age and has down through, down through time that's been the case that we will dwell in us and we have faith in that we have to believe that Christ is in us helping us live the life he led the way he led it so having the truth and believing in it having the faith in it as we know in 1st Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 21 it says, we should prove all things. And all these items of the, the various doctrines, the things that give us this idea of, of what God is doing, who God is, what he's doing, what, and what he is, that we prove these things, we prove the Bible, and we hold on to them. We cling to these things, <coughs> excuse me, that we prove and hold dear because we have faith that these things are what God wants us to do, 
Quite the second element, which very closely related to this, but the way the Bible terms it is, I think, very interesting. The second element is that your study and your experience, your proving all things, leads to a body of beliefs. So again, if you just want to uh, put that just in a simple phrase, to, right down to the very core, is a statement of fundamental beliefs. That's a body of beliefs. It's an accumulation of, of doctrines, an accumulation of things we understand, and it's, it's mentioned in the first point. And this becomes something that in the Bible, in the New Testament, is referred to as the faith. The faith. More than just an individual doctrine. That it's one's entire body of beliefs. And all, a collection or an accumulation of all the truths that God will reveal to us. And also, it is in, in, uh, compared to or used as a type, in one place or another, of the church. That the church embodies the truth. The, church, the true church of God embodies the truth that we are to believe. So again, a few scriptures related to that. In Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 6, is verse 7, it says, Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Which more than just a doctrine, he represented all this, this body of truth, that made up, that if you will, what the church practiced, what the church believed. That as the disciples and apostles spread the gospel, they also taught all the things that Christ taught. And that became the faith, if you will. It was separate. That the, the Christianity was a separate set of beliefs from what was extant in the world at that time. And... While there were obviously a great number of similarities between that and Judaism, but a major departure in going from the letter of the law to the spirit of the law, it now became a very separate religion, and the job of a very small number of apostles was to take that far and wide and preach the gospel to the world and to give them this body of beliefs that became the faith. And it points out here that these, these priests that were uh, the priests of the Jewish faith at that point, the Jewish belief, they believed and they were obedient to the faith. So they understood there was a continuing obedience required that was only enhanced, was only expanded into the spirit of the law. And they were obedient to that, that it went above and beyond the letter of the law and the practices of Judaism at that time. <clears throat> In Acts chapter 14, verses 21, oh, I'm sorry, yeah, 21 and 22, And when they had preached the gospel to that city, this is Paul and his and those that were with him, and they made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples. And of course, if you read the earlier part of the chapter, they've been through these cities, they've been run off, but uh, dangerous, dangerous as it may have been, they turned around and went back, and strengthening the souls of the disciples exhorting them to continue in the faith. And I think that, that, that phrase has meaning. It's more than just one, one idea. It was this body of beliefs that set them apart from all other ideas that were extant at that time. Over in Romans chapter 14... 
Romans chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. Now, as I read this, clearly this is about a specific item in the faith. Talking about one point, but about what, what should or should not be eaten. But notice, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. So this was just one, one element, if you will, or one doctrine or one principle that was in the faith. And so he points out someone who is weak in the faith, that not totally familiar with everything that we would call the composite would be the statement of fundamental beliefs or our overall view of everything that God teaches us. And someone who comes into the church today, sometimes we talked about them being new in the faith. There was a time when each one of us in this room, not uh, most of us been here a while, but there was a time when you and I were new in the faith and we didn't know everything. And in reality, we still don't know everything. <laughs> but God willing, we're not new in the faith after all these years. But new in the faith talks about understanding the various items that go into the believing what God wants us to do and how he wants us to live and help be like Jesus Christ being a Christian. Then in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. We read this multiple times a year, but especially during Passover time and in the weeks not too far hence, we will be going through this. But we are to do this regularly. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. That's not talking about just one doctrine. That's talking about this whole body of things that, that we believe that separate us from the world, that identifies us with God, that we've become part of his church, that we are in, in, sense, in that sense part of the faith. And we examine ourselves in, in total to see whether there are things and looking for the things on which we still need to work. And over, I'll have to turn back. Let me check here. And I made some about it representing the church. In Acts chapter 14, verse 27. Acts chapter 14, verse 27. And now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them. This is Paul and Barnabas coming back to Jerusalem and they <clears throat> relating what has transpired on their journeys up into Asia Minor. They reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And being a party, he talks to here, he read, gathered the church together. And opened up to them here for the Gentiles the door of faith. That this, the church that God had put together, the people that God had called, that they were now invited into that body as well. Then in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 21, and through verse 21 through verse 23. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through faith to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, 
and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So we are to continue in this, in the church, in the body of Christ, in the faith that Christ has put, to, put in us to believe all the things that he did, all the things he said, and in fact to practice in this life, by him living his life in us, all the things he practiced and maintain that faith. Then in Jude, verse 3, one I'm sure we know well, that Jude was writing and he mentions that we should contend earnestly for the faith. All the things that the church, all the things that the, the doctrines that we believe, all this body of beliefs, all that it represents, we defend it, we protect it, we ask for deeper understanding, but we want to know where God said that the Spirit would lead us into all truth, all the things we are to believe and all the things we are to practice. And we are to contend for that, for the faith that was once delivered. So as one proves doctrine by doctrine, belief by belief, if you will, where we have this composite of truth, this accumulation of all the things that God wants us to understand, we have then the truth of God. And that makes up a, what I would, again, the Bible I think refers to as the truth. And we're expected, in fact, we are commanded to hold on to it, to defend it, to contend for it. And the Bible then tells, uh, Paul writes that we should be able to, and he talked to Timothy and Titus, that they should be able to defend that. And Peter writes that, that we should be able to defend the truth, to know what we believe, why, and if called upon to do that. And so, you know, one, one could ask, if someone were to ask you, what do you believe? Then you would come down, I'm coming here to the third point in just a moment, that if someone asked you what you believe and gave you adequate time to explain that, there is a vital question associated with that, that we have to know that and remember that Christ said he would build his church and the church would not die out. So we have this church that has the faith, the things that we are supposed to do. And it's important to notice for that matter, uh, just, just an aside for a moment in, in, in that, how we contend for it and how we come to this body of truth. But before we come to this third point, just, I would share with you that that based on what Paul wrote in Romans, how are we to know all these things? How can one learn the truth? Well, he points out that we have to hear it preached. How did you and I come to a knowledge of the truth of what we know? Over the years, we've been taught by ministers that have been taught as well by those before them. Paul told Timothy and Titus, teach what you've been taught. Now, it's interesting that if we teach what we've been taught, not that we don't grow in knowledge, we do. Over time, God gives us more understanding. But if you teach what you've been taught, they just the accusation is, well, you're just parroting back, you know, that you're just, uh, uh, you're just a mouthpiece. But God says that's what we are to do. And see, so you and I learn the truth by being taught by those that are over us. And we hold on to that, and so it's vital that we are part of the body of Christ physically and, and, and where we can be to be taught. And that is part of holding on to God's truth. So then the third point, the third element, if you will, that concerns faith and believing, and the question that I asked for a moment, a moment ago, that if one asked some you what you believe and you had plenty of time to answer it, the question would be, does your life and what you do exemplify 
what you profess to believe? Would my life exemplify what I profess to believe? What is the body of my faith in understanding God's word? So this has been discussed, this whole idea here, that faith produces obedience. Faith produces works. Discussed many times by, by the ministry, and I've mentioned it before, but it's most critical. So if someone were to ask that question and you, your technical answer was you could explain doctrine after doctrine after doctrine and principle after principle, would one's life be a testimony of what is there. Certainly having faith in God and believing God says that God does things for us. If we have faith, as the example was given, if we have faith when we're anointed, God will heal us. And I dare say that for everyone in this room, in your Christian lifetime, you've experienced that. And we profess that when we call a minister and ask to be anointed. We expect, and I, many of us as ministers mention that, that we come to God, we should expect healing. We should expect, not be surprised when it happens. Uh, sometimes we're surprised when it happens just like that. <laughs> which on occasion it does. I've experienced that as far as anointing someone and having it happen where they, before we got up off our knees, the pain was gone and didn't come back. Now, frankly, my experience is most time that's when someone is new in the faith. It's to encourage them. It's to build their faith. And as years go by, God doesn't always so to speak, hop to our tune. We want immediate intervention. And sometimes, though, at, at the same time, our bodies are designed to get better, to recover, when various things befall us. God does, I think he built in a repair mechanism. I mean, as simple as getting your finger cut. Uh, we don't, when, uh, if you get your finger almost cut off, you might be anointed. But every time you stick your hand with a, with a razor blade or whatever, we don't. What happens? The skin grows back, and as children, we're, you know, mom, and don't, don't pick at the scab. <laughs> uh, don't do that. Well, that's one of those things we have find hard to resist. But uh, with the thread, it'll, it'll cause a scar. I, I don't know if that happens or not, but that's what I remember. But the body heals. And yet there are things we realize that, that when we get sick, God says if we're ill, to ask to be anointed. And the prayer of faith, belief, will save the sick. So we believe in that faith means God does something for us. Uh, what about when we lose our jobs? We ask God to help us find a job. We believe he will provide for us. He promises to provide for us. And we believe that. We pray about it. We ask for it, that God would do something for us. And whether or not we ask in faith, obviously, is, is a factor to which or not, whether or not that comes to pass. And any number of prayers that you and I may have where we ask God for something. Every day, we are to be thankful Mr. Armstrong talked about and taught us that we should spend time praising God's name at, 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 in the outline of prayer. Christ points that out. And we honor him and we extol his name. And we give thanks for the things that we have, the things he's already done for us. And then get around to the things that we want him to do for us. And many of those things are not directly about you and me. Because we pray about the work every day, that God would inspire those he's placed over his work. God would inspire other people to become donors or co-workers. 
or that God would call more laborers into his work, into the faith. And so we're asking God to do a lot of things. And then, of course, we ask him for ourselves as well. One of which we ask him to give us more of his spirit, to work with us, to give us understanding. And as we have heard before, in which it's just one of those wonderful examples, uh, Mr. Ames talked about praying for a long time that he would get to go to Israel. And if I'm not mistaken, it was 17 years before that was answered. But we do ask for things. God, to do this, do that. But faith also, and maybe more importantly, or at least as importantly or noteworthy, having faith and believing God means we do something. We are to do what God instructs us to do, to follow in his path. Let's, let's turn over to Hebrews 11. We can't, well, I should say we can't. But it's hard to talk about faith and not turn to Hebrews 11. <clears throat> In Hebrews 11, verses 5, well, 4, 5, and 7, it talks about Abel did something. Enoch did something because they had faith. And in verse 7, it talks about Noah. It says, by faith... Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear. Now the inference there is that uh, when God told him that he was going, he was going to flood the earth, uh, he had never seen anything like that. And the idea of building an ark in order to survive that kind of flood was uh, probably mocked by those around. Uh, one would guess, especially if you were not built near a lake, uh, you know, why are you doing building that here? But by, by faith, he did something. He built the ark and his sons and their families, uh, their wives were part of that. Now, it was his faith, but his sons went along with him. And when one would like to think, they believe the same things. But Noah is the one that's recognized there as having the faith. It did something because he believed what God told him. And that was the means by which humanity, at least physically, was going to be saved from destruction. Later on in verses 8 through 10 and 17 through 19, just to mention them, it talks about Abraham acting on his faith. Verse 8 says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. How many of us ever go out to go do anything and not know where we're going? Now, I mean, there are times. I mean, we go from the bedroom into the kitchen and we get there and we think, why am I here? <laughs> uh, that's not what I mean. <laughs> just, uh, and you go back to the bedroom and, oh, yeah. <laughs> and you go down to the, back to the kitchen and get it, you know, whatever it was, whatever to, to do whatever you went there to do. But we go places because we know where we're going. And I can't help but think of what, it was like what we call the pioneers in the idea that this, this west, westward movement that many of our forebears got in Conestoga wagons and to a degree not knowing where they were going, not knowing what was there in Oregon or what was there in California and the kind of industry that took, I won't say faith, not in that particular case, but here, Abraham packed up his goods and took off northwest, not knowing at all. But the only reason he went was because God told him to go. Now, he went off to the northwest, and he stopped for a while in Haran before he went on to Canaan. 
but didn't know where he was going. All he knew was God said go, but he packed up his bags and he went. And then in verse, verse 17, and by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac and he who had received the promises, offered up his only begotten son. Of whom it was said, in Isaac, your seed shall be called. And believing that Isaac was the son of promise. That if God was going to tell him to sacrifice that son, there was at that point a growth in Abraham to believe what was going to happen. Verse 19, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. There's, a, there's no account that I know of that Abraham had any example to fall back on, to know that God would do that, except that he had come to understand if God said Isaac was the son of promise, from which there were going to be a great company of peoples and a great land that if Isaac were to die, that means Isaac would have to live again. And sometime or other, God would take care of that. But by faith, he was willing to sacrifice. And even though he did not do that, he says he received him from death in a figurative sense. He was just to the point of sacrificing his son. So Abraham did something that demonstrated that kind of faith. Hebrews, or Habakkuk, I won't turn there, but Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4 is one of the two references in the Old Testament to faith. And that is one that's quoted in the New Testament on at least three occasions where it says that the just shall live by faith. And that's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. <clears throat> Hebrews 10, verse 38, which is really a, uh, a segue if you will, because we, chapters were not there when Paul wrote. We didn't have chapters, but it was a segue into what we call the faith chapter. But Hebrews 10, verse 38 says, Now the just shall live by faith. And if anyone, or but if anyone, draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So we are to continue to hold on to this faith, this trust and belief in God in, in an absolute way, such that we don't draw back. And Paul then points out in verse 39 that we are not of those who draw back to destruction, but we are continue to believe to the saving of the soul in verse 39. So in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Second Timothy chapter 2, Verse 19. It says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are, who are his. So how do we how does God know his? How does he know who we are? Points out, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So he knows us by how we live, what we, what you and I do. That what, part of what we do is we overcome, we change. Still remember Mr. Mr. Weston's, one of his sermons, I think maybe it was the last day of unleavened bread, but during the feast, he talked about overcoming and one of the points was to pick a big one. Pick something you know is going to be very challenging. Maybe one of those things that we've put off in the past because we know the likelihood of being successful is maybe pretty slim because it's been hanging on for years. But God knows his own by those of us who overcome. So we are to think about the thing we need to change. Just read 2 Corinthians 
to examine ourselves. And God knows us when we change, when we grow, when we depart from iniquity, we stop the wrong habits and start doing the right things. In Romans chapter 16. Romans 16, verses 25 and 26. Paul finishing his, his epistle to the Romans. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. All of these things that, if you will, comprise the faith. According to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, that very few people since the world began understood what Paul shared with them. We are, again, some of the few that understand what Paul was teaching them. But now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, for obedience to the faith. God expects us to do something. He expects us to follow his commandments. He expects us to be examples of true Christians. And all that those words imply. We had the Bible study at the uh, family weekend given by Mr. Ames on the book of James. So I won't turn there, but it mentions in James chapter 2. That faith without works is dead. So we prove our faith by what we do. We prove our faith by adhering to the commandments. We prove our faith by serving one another. We serve, we prove our faith by praying for one another. Faith without works is dead, but works certainly prove our faith. Let's turn over to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5 verses 3 and 4. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born, or and it should be begotten of God, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our belief that Christ in us will help us grow. Christ in us will help us live the same life he lived. That we are able to overcome the world. Then in John chapter 15, John 15, an important point. In terms of what we do. John 15. Verse 17. So these things I command you that you love one another. So it's idea of what we do. The fellowship you and I have. That. When the Bible says by this. All men will know you. Does. Our affinity and our respect and our concern reflect the body of Christ. We are to do that. And while we have our differences in terms, we have our backgrounds are various. And our likes and dislikes may be different. But all of that should be overridden, whatever those differences are by the fact that you and I are begotten of God's Holy Spirit. And in general, it should be a testimony 
that this is the church of God, and Christ is its head. So lastly, in John chapter 4, what we are to do Jesus said to them in verse 34, writes, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. We hear this real often about having our heart in the work. But when you and I were baptized and we professed repentance, we professed the acceptance of Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. In essence, you and I were becoming a permanent volunteer to do the work of God, to be used by him one way or the other in achieving the job of preaching the gospel to the world and also building up his church. You and I have this mission. Mr. Armstrong said over and over and over that to the the degree that one's heart is in the work is a direct measure of their conversion. And so how we keep that big picture that Dr. Winnell talks about quite often, how we keep that big picture of what we're doing, of what God is doing, that our commitment is, if you will, representative of our faith. It's what we believe, and that we are committed to doing this. The gods hold all of us, if you will, to a degree, individually accountable for doing his work, what we pray about, what we are willing to commit, what we are willing to sacrifice in order for that work to be done. Having our hearts in the work. Christ says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. And elsewhere he uses the phrase, my father works and I work. That didn't stop when he was resurrected. He stopped briefly for three days and nights when he died. But he was resurrected back to the throne and he is head over the church. And he is still working. The Father is still working. And I think that's a reflection of, we're going to be working for eternity. (laughs) Be a different kind of work, whatever God has planned for us. But you and I were called to do the work. And that should be commensurate with the faith that is in us. So three elements, just rehearse, that faith... And belief in all that God reveals and that when it's all put together becomes a body of beliefs, represents our standards, our goals, and represents the church. And we have here the faith, something to which we belong, something to which guides overarching, guides our lives. And lastly, that the faith that God gives us through his Holy Spirit in Christ in us, enables us to do things for one another, even for ourselves, but also do things for God, doing his work. And as I mentioned earlier, that if we look back on what's happened this, this week, and I think the two gentlemen that are no longer with us physically embody that. Mr. Bonjour just wanted to work. He was disappointed, I guess is the right would be an, an adequate word, that he could no longer do what he really loved doing. Working in mail processing, getting the gospel in the mail. <laughs> and uh, Mr. Turner, again from age 16, at some point, whenever, with the Living Church of God, he had been around it since the 90s, uh, doing the work and having a very special section of that responsibility, very much was diligent about doing the work.
Good examples for us to follow in that sense. So doing these things, serving our God, doing his work, should demonstrate the faith that God has given us.